Hello, this is Pat. Uh, I just wanted to jump in before we start the episode. It took me a while to get around to editing this one, so it's going to feel a little displaced in time. Uh, this was all recorded on, what, like October 1st-ish, probably, um, right in the middle of the big Anchorage mask mandate debate and um, some of the early stages of redistricting. Um, make sure things are recording on my end. Okay, good. Um, all right. Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you think I know how to do this by now? <laughs> and this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. So this is our uh, this is our fiftieth episode, which is uh, kind of exciting. If you like uh, big auspicious round numbers, um, and I guess unexciting if you don't. <laughs> but uh, for for me, it's a chance to um, I think it's a chance to kind of reflect on uh, like both what we're doing here and how Alaska's uh, changed since we started the show. Um, you know, I was I was kind of shocking to me earlier. I went back to look at the first episode, and uh, we started this in October of 2015, which seems like a million years ago. It doesn't feel like we've <laughs> we've done that this this much or this long. Um, but it's but it's been kind of fun to get to know you through doing the show and and uh, and have these conversations. Yeah, eight and a third podcasts a year is a pretty good pace. I feel like you know it's, that's actually more than I would have thought. Um, but yeah, this has been a really like enjoyable experience that we've been able to do kind of at our own pace as, you know, sort of the work and life and the ups and downs of Alaska politics and civil sort of everything and the weird sort of neat sort of rabbit holes that we found along the way have come up and so really enjoyed doing this and I'm glad that, you know, we're continuing to do it and, um, especially because right now it feels like, uh, it feels like things are not great, Pat. It feels like things are a little dark, and um, you know, usually uh, these podcasts go one of two ways, which is we get to the end feeling worse about things, uh, <laughs> or we feel a lot better. You know, really, you know, maybe like uh, uh, foolhardy, foolhardily optimistic about things too. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing, I'm guess, I'm hoping that we can hit some kind of positive note by the end of this, because man. Well, if it's we a lot. if we want to get to the positive note, maybe we should start with the negative stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> w- let's let's like put in context where we are right now. So in Alaska right now, we are uh, we're number one in in the nation uh, in terms of COVID case count. We have a governor and uh, a mayor of our largest city who are pretty uh, adamantly opposed to taking any kind of meaningful action to curb the 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 uh, number of cases and the number of deaths that we've been having um, and are kind of even going beyond that and sort of giving this like wink and a nod to, to their, to a, an increasingly feverish base of, of folks who are um, uh, now overwhelming city council meetings and things like that. So it's, it's been, um, it's been weird. Like I try not to get sucked into Anchorage politics, but the assembly meeting marathon that's been going on for the past several days is hard to ignore. Um, there was that just striking photo of this guy 
mean mugging Forrest Dunbar and giving him the like I see you look and waving around his yellow star and uh, it was uh, you know where that kind of stuff breaks into the national news it's uh, you know sort of just puts our rampant anti-semitism on display and and anger and all these other things and it's hard to uh, it's hard to feel good about that when 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 your community's behaving in that way and you know I mean Anchorage isn't my community, but it's the biggest city in the state, and there's a center periphery issue where Anchorage is kind of the, at the center of everything we are. Um, things that happen in Anchorage affect all the areas around Anchorage, um, whether they notice us or not. And uh, it's you know we kind of have to pay attention to it because it spills out everywhere. You know, I got started in Alaska politics covering the Fairbanks North Starboro Assembly, and I really enjoyed it as sort of my first dive into, you know, covering an agenda, you know, it was this, um, and I think we spend so much time focusing on national politics and sort of the ups and downs of all of that when, like, in reality, you know, the most sort of impact that is going to affect you on your sort of day-to-day life is coming out of the, your local government, right? It's going to affect the trails and, and public safety and all these sort of different responses and and sort of day-to-day life quality. And um, for me, it was always this really kind of pure sort of thing where uh, pure is probably putting a lot of rose-tinted glasses on it, if I'm being honest. It was not, you know, there were there were days where it was, it was really divisive and petty. But, you know, in general, it felt, felt like everybody was kind of working with this sort of idea of kind of mutual respect. We could kind of you know, get testimony done without slurs, without yelling, without interruptions, without people brandishing guns and stuff and, and death threats and all this sort of stuff. And and so seeing that on display at the Anchorage Assembly for me has been like, like extraordinarily disheartening. And frankly, like, you know, I'm, I'm a political reporter, right? But I haven't been watching a whole lot of these meetings anymore because for me, watching them in, in live stream is just like this sort of massive amount of misery that I'm not, I don't really have the capacity, honestly don't have the capacity to handle. And I, I, you know, I commend a lot of people that can stick it, stick through it and, and continue to testify and continue to engage. Um, but it's tough. And I think that's, honestly, I kind of think that's the point with it, that it is trying to make these sort of situations unfriendly and anti-democratic and and um just this kind of an un, unfriendly sort of situation why you know why would you want to engage with something like this right and i think that is exactly the point and um it's tough it's really yeah. tough yeah so i watched a little bit of the meeting yesterday and it was really strange to me because there was like almost like a filibustering going on like someone would get up and give kind of a meandering um, not always very cogent uh, piece of public testimony. And then uh, Jamie Allard would ask them sort of a, like a clarifying question that didn't really lead anywhere or add any actual clarification, but just seemed in, intent on extending the, the duration of this process and making it more like antagonizing and <laughs> and just sort of anguish filled for everyone. Right. And so then this person would talk some more and, and uh it was very strange coming from this world of the Alaska legislature where you're used to like people giving their couple minutes of public comment and then going and sitting down and then the next person and not really having um, sort of these extended uh, exchanges. So I, I, I guess I 
maybe that is the strategy, but it, but that was the thing that was in the in the front of my mind was like, why, why drag this out? Like, why spread this out over like five, six days of, of sort of angry public testimony? And I think your answer is the one that makes the most sense is that it's just to make this an unattractive position so that people won't get involved. But then how does city government function, right? It, once you've created that, I just don't, I don't see the long game in, in that strategy. I can see the short game, like if there's an election coming up, but wh- what, why do you want to break city government to the point of like not being able to have a meeting? You know, it really reminds me of what another friend told me, like at the beginning of the Trump administration, when you're looking at a lot of these sort of breaking of norms, you're looking at a lot of the stacking of courts. And their take was, you know, this is sort of the last gasp of a political group that really doesn't have the votes there is is seeing public opinion and, and sort of the voting demographics shift away from them in a way that is going to make their position untenable for as long as possible, you know, shifts that will make it like impossible to win election under sort of the norms. And so, you know, you break the norms and, you know, you can through, you know, election laws, through gerrymandering, through this sort of aggressive approach to public meetings of of making them, you know, just unlikable. And um, it helps, you know, kind of extend that grasp on power, you know, another generation or another 10 years or whatever. And I think that is what is so frustrating about it is that it, it feels like, um, you know, we're playing, a, we were all playing the same board game and agreeing to the rules. And now someone is, you know, flipping the table over. And it's, uh, it's really frustrating because it doesn't feel like we are particularly well equipped to really meet the scale of what's happening right now. And I think that there's a lot of institutions, I think the media especially are, and, you know, sort of also political parties too, are really ill-equipped to really grapple with this sort of level of weaponization of disinformation, of distrust, of otherization, of, you know, anti-democratic sort of suppressive tactics. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird to see it on a local level. Like, I'm... You know, we're we're children of the internet era, right? We grew up and we saw a lot of like nasty comments online and and things like that. But that was always the kind of thing that people would post under like an anonymous name on like a forum somewhere about, you know, whatever their strange viewpoint was. But you wouldn't see them so much turn up in public and put their their face and name on it. And like it's kind of just shifted to this point where, like now, uh, you, I mean, this is the thing that I kept thinking is like, this is the Republican party. Like this is, this is the Republicans. This is them standing up and, and putting on display their values in a public space. And, and it's a really uncomfortable thing to see that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it feels like such a weird last ditch effort or maybe like the, like they've kind of boiled things down so much that this is what they're left with is this kind of like sticky resin at the bottom of the pot. Um, and, and yeah. it's, it doesn't seem like it goes anywhere positive from here. Um, you know, right. It, it, it feels, it feels bad, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that was like a really good, that's a good point too, because, uh, so you look at, you know, some of the testimony that happened, 
um, this week, and you know, what, there was one moment where um, this guy Paul Kendall, he's kind of this like frequent flyer weirdo that we've, you know, people in the legislature and public local government have probably known. You know, he's been bothering him for a decade, right? You know, he's just, but he's always sort of been this sort of fringe guy. Um, and during his testimony, he called Assemblymember Chris Constant a homophobic slur. And um, I talked to Christopher later, and I think um, he said it in during the next me- during Thursday's meeting. But it wasn't really so much what Kendall said, because it's Kendall. But it was that the fact that two hundred people were cheering him, you know, that were you know were out of their seats cheering him right. after he that's called n- him. That's not our guy. Kendall's yeah. not our guy. He's not a re- he's not part of the Republican machine. Like he's just a he's just a guy that's saying some stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah, your your two hundred people in the audience with your red shirts and your yellow stars are standing up behind him screaming yes. Yeah. And and egging that on. And and that's also an interesting thing, the yellow star thing, you know, where uh you know, I think that one of the really most remarkable things is as soon as they got, you know, serious pushback and blowback and, you know, kind of in the light of day saw just how ugly it was. I mean, I think, you know, I've heard that, you know, there's, you know, a lot of what you kind of consider as your Republican power players, quote unquote, you know, were privately repulsed by it. And I would say, you know, that doesn't mean shit, <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean anything if you're not going to say anything about it publicly, right? But yeah. the next day he was backtracking in a totally, you know, milk toast BS kind of way. Um, but I think it, even the fact that he had some walk back and then the next day there was no or very few yellow stars in the audience speaks to me about just how, like, performative this is. You know, the fact that he's able to say, hey, don't wear the stars and people don't wear the stars tells me that they were okay with it. They knew what they were doing going into it, and they only sort of backtracked once they realized how bad it looked. But, well, and that they have some control over it and, and they some have responsibility some control over for it, it yeah. right? And so like that they, they, had, they had control from day one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the mayor did get up and speak about in favor of and defense of those yellow stars before he issued his sort of, uh, you know, soft apology. Um and it, you know, to see, it's an interesting thing because they, like, in some ways, I feel like they've got a tiger by the tail. Like, you just can't let go because you've just like stirred up and agitated this group of people that you really don't really, you, you just can't control them on some level because mm-hmm. the, that's what you've invited. Um, but they do have some, they do have some ability to steer it. And uh, how quickly things changed overnight there with the yellow stars is a good, is good evidence that they that they are communicating and driving that process. Right. Oh boy. So, okay. That's the Anchorage assembly. We're, we'll see what happens the next few days. It's not going to be fun probably. And then eventually the assembly will vote for this mask mandate. And then the gov- or the mayor will probably veto it. And then the assembly will override it and everyone will freak out and, uh, some people will just choose to not wear a mask anyways, and that's just how it will be. And that all could have happened in two days. Right. And I think there is a lot of politics wrapped up on this in both directions, right? I think 
Um, the assembly feels a strong need to do something to be able to sh- not only to do something about the pandemic, but be able to show that they, you know, they have this, you know, majority um, that and use it for something. Right. I mean, I think that's oh. sort of a, one of the big frustrations we see on the national level. Right. Is that Democrats have a, you know, a slim majority, but they not not really using it to the full extent possible. Right. And that's because, you know, there's a we could spend a whole time <laughs> talking about why that is. Sure. But yeah. So, you know, it. It sets up a really interesting issue. I think um, I think it's good that you know they're they're getting proactive about it because I think for so long we've kind of let people like Bronson and Dunleavy sort of dictate the show a little bit, sort of drive the narrative, and um, and I think that it plays really well into their hands, and so. You know, how this all plays out is unknown right now. You know, I think that it's certain, you know, if, if Bronson really sticks to his guns and, he, you know, he ignores a law that was rightfully passed, it be, you know, all of a sudden that creates the grounds for a recall, right? And there's probably several other things that have already done that. And it's like, you know, I think uh, I think it's a it's a really important check, you know, to have on the system. And, and um it's you know. gotten tired, though. Like, I mean, yeah. like I was involved in a recall, right? I, I worked on the recall Dunleavy thing. And I think that everyone that was involved in that effort is pretty wiped out. And I think that the, you know, all of these little recalls of people for, you know, for what are frankly not very good reasons, like the Meg Zalatel recall. And, you know, that was because they had like invited one extra person into the room or something like that. I think mm-hmm. that there's, you know, th- I think the the patience and enthusiasm for recalls is wearing thin. And I don't think that there's really like, I think that there's not a lot of uh, tread left on that tire. Mm. I think if you want to recall Bronson, he's going to have to go punch someone in a meeting, you know, like he's going to have yeah. to do something that is like a clear, clearly, clearly out of line. It can't be some little wiggly violation of like, well, you didn't do this thing that you're actually, that you can just not do, or you posted a web banner on the, inter- you know, like, like the thing with the, the, uh, the elections banner, like you pointed this out is that his, um, he violated, a uh, he violated, what is it? A, a protocol or a law or something. He, he sort of went outside of his bounds and they posted some information on their website in, in like a web banner and like, okay, great. Maybe he broke a law, but that's not, that's not enough to like really recall someone like that's just yeah. like wiggly little stuff. And so, well, you, you know, know I, I think ignoring the mask mandate approved by the assembly, it would be, you know, refusing maybe, to enforce it. Maybe. I mean, he if he like, he can probably refuse to enforce all kinds of stuff. And so I think that's probably a tool that a lot of people have used. I mean, we've mm-hmm. historically in Alaska, we've refused to enforce national uh, laws about weed. Right. Yeah. I think that there's room for some of that uh, dissent within within government. And I think that there's lawful dissent within government as well and i don't think that he's would he actually be violating a law if he chose to lightly enforce something or if he chose to under enforce something i mean if he he's you know he's tasked with enforcing the law you know that's the thing that's that's what's so interesting about the dunleavy recall is that it really set a a pretty low bar right yeah oh sure i'm not saying they can't i'm not saying they can't recall him i'm just saying that to get the popular vote to actually make something like that happen He'd, I think he'd really have to do something much bigger, and I think that. I not, mean, I would not enforcing you know, a mass sympathizing with that... the sympathizing <laughs> with uh, anti semites is uh, would be up there. I think. Sure. You know, I think, and I think that's that's what you know. I think 
um, you know, he only won by, uh, you know, a thousand votes. Right. And so one, one and a half percent, you know, just a little yeah. under one and a half percent. And so, you know, I think that's what's so frustrating about it is that, you know, he came into office um, and I think people really did want to try to turn the page on a lot of the vitriol they wanted to, you know, there was a lot, you heard a lot from all sorts of like progressive people, like, you know, we owe it to the voters to give them a chance. Right. And, you know, he's done nothing to try to branch those divides to sort of settle the acrimony and work together. And he's sort of falling back to these old sort of tropes of sort of divisiveness of, you know, he's accusing the assembly of spying on him. He's, you know, he's mm-hmm. making, forcing, you know, routing all of the communications through the municipal shadow mayor. It's tough because, you know, it's almost like a, you're right. There's kind of a, a level of that that's, you know, that should be, that's kind of not, there's nothing necessarily illegal about being a jerk, right? About being, you know, working against the public good. You know, that's, we've been, we've had politicians been working against the public good and dividing the public forever, right? And that's like a thing that's it's sort of core to the system. And I think, you know, that's, that's what's tough about it, right? And I think that, you know, the tools of recall are, are, you know, it's, you know, there is some validity to the, you know, the sort of argument that, you know, they're trying to relitigate elections, right? And, but, you know, it's a power that is in the system. So, you know, if you can, if you, if you can do it within the system and you can get the, you know, the X number of people on your side, that's, that's what it takes, right? And so, you know, I would hope that, you know, uh, you know, opening, open, full-throated endorsement of, anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Semitic imagery, Holocaust, and, you know, this sort of stuff of, you know, this hands-off approach to the pandemic that is only making it worse. I would hope that would be enough to change public public opinion on it. But, you know, I guess I wouldn't be surprised either if it ends up being, you know, he ends up winning a, by an even larger margin, right? Yeah. And that's an interesting way of, like, viewing the tool of recall, right? It's like it's a part of government. It's almost like having, like, a snap election um, in other places. It's a way to kind of, like, call the question and sort of reaffirm, like, is this a person we want leading us? And it's nice that the public has that tool. So I'm I'm totally supportive of the idea of recall. I think that I'm just thinking a little bit more, like, in terms of, like, is it realistic right now? And I think that the – I think that the idea that – Bronson could be recalled. I think the, there's enthusiasm for it, certainly, but I don't know if that enthusiasm is broad enough. I think it's been, I think that the the um, I think it's been wearied a little bit by by you know our efforts trying to recall Dunleavy, by the efforts to recall Zalatel, yeah. by the efforts to recall Rivera. Um, you know, I think that there's there's a little bit of recall fatigue right now, and I think that that would make it much harder to recall Bronson and the. The, the bigger thing that might be, you know, like th- something that I thought about a lot when I was working on the recall effort was like, this feels like an inherently uh, negative or subtractive effort. Like you're trying to undo a mistake. Uh, you're trying to erase something that this is like is, is an error. And and it's always a lot harder to, to go back and fix something than it is to just like make it better to begin with. And I think that what Anchorage is looking at, and and again, I'm not an Anchorage resident, and this isn't really my place to like, <laughs> you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt. This is just an outsider looking in. But I think that the, like, you, Anchorage has an assembly 
election coming up that's pretty high stakes. And I feel right. like if you take all that energy that you would put towards a recall and you put that into like electing really good candidates for assembly, like that's how you, that's how you, like that's how you move forward. And yeah, and I think that's kind of the point behind this, right? Because you know whether or not this leads to a recall is one thing, but I think the assembly showing that it's worth having people that are good on the assembly, that it's worth having people who are willing to um, try to do something is by itself, you know, a motivating rallying call, right? You're looking at the assembly, you know, that is standing up to a wave of abuse and, you know, vitriol and death threats and is still willing to do the job and is still willing to try to work on it, I think is for me is pretty um, should be should be kind of a rallying cry there. Yeah. I think that alone is is sort of worthwhile. And I think I think you're right. I think that, you know, falling back on the recall as the answer to everything is, you know, it's just a long shot. You know, at, at the very best, it's a long shot that uh, it was going to be a difficult feat to pull off under the best of circumstances. Right. Um, you know, I would I still you know, I think that you know, that he's definitely, you know, there was there was an opportunity, right, to try to make things better. I think the Assembly especially, um, you know, was offering a lot of olive branches to try to work together on the homelessness shelter, on, you know, other things that they would like to sort of see done. And Bronson turned around and used them to start a pyre, you know, start a witch hunt, basically. Right. And I think that that I think changes the calculus, and I think, and two also, you know, and, and I'm I'm gonna, you know, now I'm getting away from maybe the 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 philosophical debate and more into the mechanics of it too. Sure. Is that a recall? He doesn't have to run. He doesn't have the benefit of running against Forrest Dunbar anymore, right? Like, mm-hmm. at love him or like or hate him, um, Dunbar. I think you know, there's a lot of people who probably just you know either didn't vote or, or voted for Bronson simply because they don't like Dunbar. He's just kind of this sort of polarizing, unlikable guy for whatever reason. Yeah, he's too nice. I hate him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's precisely <laughs> it. And um, so I think, you know, just from kind of the more mechanical look at it, you know, there are reasons why I guess, I you know, me, the the hopeless optimist in, all, in sort of all sort of political uh you know, machinations, uh, you know, see reason to think that, uh, uh, you know, there, that things would be there. There is some wind behind the sails of what a recall would do. I think sure, there are, that would, are it would just be an up down would, question. It would yeah. be like thumbs up, thumbs down. Do you want this guy? And that's a different question of like, which of these two people do you want? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And OK, so to, to slightly change the subject uh, and to start moving in a little bit different direction, like I want to talk about another assembly meeting that I watched this week, and that was the Juno assembly meeting. We had a very similar uh, uh, mask mandate question. It was whether to extend our existing max mask mandate um, and to add uh, a fine to add actual like some teeth to the enforcement of that. Um, and so that was a really interesting thing to listen to in the middle of this Anchorage stuff. And so um, I didn't even know this meeting was happening. And then all of a sudden, like I saw Rasha um, Machesny, who's at K2, tweeting a few comments. Uh, and they were all just like, like it was like reading the comments from the Anchorage meeting. I was like, oh, no, what is happening? And uh, by the time I jumped on the meeting, it had like the whole wave had turned. And it was it was just like all of these really like thoughtful people calling in and saying like, okay, well, this is what, you know, and even the people that were against the mask mandate were like, are, are 
articulate and well-spoken and made their case without like without calling people names or threatening them their lives and and it was it was nice to see sort of a collegial discussion of of how do you you know like this is why i don't want a mask mandate and and here are my reasons and it's stressing me out and it's bothering my kids and whatnot and like i get it like i i i can understand that empathize with with that but then you like you kind of wait it our assembly went through this process then they took some time to like weigh these two issues and then they voted on it and and um and it was it was really heartening to like (laughs) see that see that happen because it like all of a sudden these like red warning lights started going off i was like oh no is this happening here too and then and then it kind of didn't um i mean i think that's i think that's a really good point right is that you know you can have discourse without the acrimony right you can have it without the disruptions and i think that is you know that is what is so frustrating about it is that um but i but i think you know sorry to interrupt you but just the the you know we just came through this like year of protest right and and the disruptions were the point right of being heard and so i think maybe a little bit of what we're seeing is is some little bounce back from that it's like okay well if it's okay for you to like light a building on fire or break a window because of this then it's okay for me to like wave my gun around at the you know like i th- i think that there's a desire to be heard and when people don't feel heard is when they ha- have to make themselves heard yeah, and but, i think there's a place for that right yeah but you know i what i kind of go back to is you know it's important to remember that a lot of these people are really kind of operating in an alternate reality, right? They are getting news from, you know, fake news or, or, or highly misleading misinformation sources that have, you know, uh, profit, you know, kind of and politics and power at the, at heart, right? That's the goal of a lot of people that are sort of feeding this. And so, you know, I almost kind of look at these the people testifying and kind of almost not sympathy is probably too strong of a word, but maybe pity a little bit because, you know, if you really thought that, uh, you know, that the people who want mask mandates really just want other, all they want to do is just kill business and, 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 and take away your civil liberties. And, and, and it's just, you know, it's just the next, it's just the first step to the ne- the next Holocaust. Like if you truly believe that, I, I couldn't I don't know if I would be acting a whole lot different right like yeah. but that's just not what's happening and I think that's what is so frustrating is it feels like we are you know disconnected with reality right you know I think that and that's what's so difficult about it is that you know they're basically arguing with a straw man that doesn't exist you know that of this this angry liberal who just wants to you know muzzle you you know it's just business and it, it's like <laughs> Do they think that we like to wear masks? Do you think that they like that we like to have limited capacity? Like, no. Like, I, I love those like six weeks, right, where it, it felt cool to go out without a mask and like hang out. And we went to First Friday, and it was like this perfect afternoon, you know. And I would yeah. love nothing more than to have more of that. And I think that's what's so frustrating about it is that, you know. I wrote a piece this week about it where, um, you know, I kind of think that, you know, it, it almost makes sense why Bronson and Dunleavy and everybody on that side of the aisle doesn't want the pandemic to end because 
the longer the pandemic goes on, the more outrage they there's this sort of endless well of outrage that is so effective to kind of motivate the base and scare people away and you know like the the idea behind the mask mandate is we we're trying to do something to bring an end to the pandemic right like we want to end it you know we don't want to and and right and like we're and they they kind of like logic lord us and say well you know nothing's gonna erase it forever so why even try and it's like yes we're at a point where it's not going to ever probably go away but I would also like to not see like, you know, I saw a report just now that there's an infant that's hospitalized for COVID in Fairbanks. Like, I would like that to not happen, right? I would like to not feel like see this kind of constant like overstress the health system and, and people, you know, at the breaking point and people dying of, you know, what's largely an avoidable death now. And, right. um, and, you know, I think it's all, you know, what's so difficult is that I think they they have sort of primed them to, to sort of think about it in black and white. It's either we can eradicate the virus or you can't. So why even try if you can't fully eradicate it? You know, what, you know, uh, you know, a thing that they've already made impossible to do in the first place now. And, you know, it's really about reducing risk, you know, about minimizing the number. You know, people are going to continue to get sick. People are going to continue to die like we're already in a place where that's like the long-term outlook now, but we want to minimize it. And, and, and not just, you know, because a, you know, human life has value and, and B, you know, it's bad for the economy, right? There's uh landmine had a good post that was looking at all these different big events that have been canceled over COVID. That's, you know, that's, we talk about the health of the economy and it's like, you know, like we, you look at the hiring issues, right. You know, that, you know, the 600,000 you know, Americans have died, right? Um, 500, nearly 600 Amer- Alaskans have died. You know, those are people that were working in, in healthcare, that were, you know, working in, you know, our, our restaurants and service and retail. Um, so not only is it, like, bad from the, the health level, which they don't even seem to care about, but, like, it's bad on the economic level, too, which is what they seem to they think to prioritize over everything else. And, and so that is what's so frustrating to me. And I, I think I just have such a, a tough time trying to square it and trying to kind of try to even respect it on some level. And it, it, I think it's, it, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I think that the sort of like anti-Semitic tactics of this sort of, you know, the waving the guns and the yelling makes it that much easier to dismiss their viewpoint. Right. And, I think that's a, that's you know it's a bad place to be in, right? I think it's you know it's unfortunate. You know, I think uh, you had a great comic uh, this week that really hit on it, and I think we should we'll put it in the show notes, right? But like, it gets back to this thing that we talked about in our first episode, this kind of mythos of Alaska, of us all, you know working together to pull in the right direction that if you I think I think we talked about it in the terms of if you you know if you're going to get stuck on the side of the road you know you can kind of count on someone to stop and help you and it feels now like there is a side that is you know that that would take pleasure in you know hitting that puddle instead <laughs> and to make sure you're splat you know while you're trying to change yeah. your tire like that's kind of where we're at right now it sort of feels like spite for the sake of spite, you know, and I think that is what is so difficult for me to really, um, 
I don't know. It's, it's really difficult like, for me to see mm-hmm. because I think that, um, you know, there's very little substance in a lot of this. It's it's just kind of anger for anger's sake. And I think it's just so empty and, and so frustrating to, to really see. So, yeah. Thank, so, thank you for my allowing me to rant there. <laughs> no, it's good. It was it, I mean, I agree with all that. It's, you know, it's an erosion of our sense of community. And it's not just a community that we like selectively um like embrace up here it's a community that rely that we rely on when you talk about that person on the side of the road i think the subtext is that like in a lot of places in alaska if you're on the side of the road too long you're dead you know if you're if you're in if it's negative 40 and you're in fairbanks and your car's broken down and you're in the middle of nowhere that's not going to be a fun night you know I, th- I think that there's i think that there's a lot more subtext to that idea that like the, the idea that we help each other out isn't isn't so much that we're doing it for like you know kindness and and friendliness that we're kind of doing it out of necessity we're mm-hmm. we're, we're here to survive together and whether that's the the um you know physical challenges that we have of living in a place with the kind of geography uh that we have or and weather that we have or or whether that's the mental challenges of living in a place with the kind of darkness that we have you know like i think that we're I think that we need to help each other out, and we rely on that sense of community. And it and it and it. The problem with that narrative of helping someone out is that it crashes pretty heavily into another identity that we have as kind of rugged individuals that don't need any help from anyone else. And so we've got these two sort of dueling personalities in Alaska, and right now this kind of. Uh, the, the idea of the rugged individual is changed into like an entitled individual, like an individual who sort of is going to complain about any kind of minor inconvenience. You know, it's like it's a kind of a, a rugged individualism that uh, relies on Costco. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. it's, it's not really what it was. You know, it's not it's not being able to take care of yourself. It's being able to not ask anyone else for help. And um, and I think that really shows lately is that we're we're not uh you know we're not a we're not a a community in the way that we were and alaska's like kind of out of necessity we need to rely on one another and we need to know each other and uh, i went to the redistricting meeting recently and and uh um you know there we talked about this a little bit but there's a like this strange tentacle with a little nub that is like incorporated andy's story in our our valley representative into the same district as our downtown representative i raised that issue at the meeting and you know i really appreciate um you know john binkley uh was you know he he explained it in a way that i wasn't really satisfied with but he came over afterwards and he talked to me about it and um, you know, he knows, uh, he knows he's like friends with my uncle from like way back. And he knows some of my family he asked about my dad, you know, and I think that that, like that kind of, uh, you know, small town connection really matters in a, in a, in a state this size with as few people as we have. Um, it's nice to feel connected to people, even if you disagree with them, even if you think that the thing they're doing is like suspect or self-serving, it's important to, to be able to like, set that stuff aside and realize like, Hey, we're all here together, no matter what happens at the end of the day. Right. And we're kind of losing touch with that. Yeah, so. definitely. So anyways, so let's, let's, so something positive. Let's, let's yeah. So taking where we are now, I think that like, uh, one of the things I'm kind of excited about is I, I've always wanted to have more voices on the show than just yours and mine. And it's always 
we're not very good, honestly, about like getting out and interviewing people or talking to them. But I set up this, uh, you know, we've done a couple of deep dive episodes where we've gone and like interviewed one person. And those have been great. But um, I I wanted to like open it up more. And I've always really appreciated like Talk of Alaska and those kind of call in shows and sort of 300 villages and things like that, where they just have all these great voices from around the state. And I wanted to try and start opening our show up to more of that kind of stuff. And so I set up a, a recording line. Uh, you can dial find a pizza and you can get our recording line. You can leave a message. And um, uh, the first the first round, the first iteration of this was a little just like test run. I put a thing out on Twitter and said, hey, dial find a pizza and tell us what your favorite pizza is. And uh, so we got some uh, a little bit of follow up on our pizza episode that I'd like to play through. And then uh, the second piece, um, I just wanted to like look forward a little bit like maybe where we are now is hard to deal with but i think we have a lot of opportunity still and we've got a lot of um great people here and we can do great things for this state and so i just kind of asked like what what do you want to see in alaska like in the future what is your hope for the future for alaska and so um we'll let's just start listen to those pizza ones and then we'll talk and then we'll listen to the the kind of forward-looking statements okay so pizza message one Howdy, this is Crazy Alaskan, longtime tweeter, first time caller, uh, 20-year resident, lived in a few regions around the state. I'm going to say that the Totaman Pizza in Healy, Alaska has got to be the best damn pizza I have had anywhere in state. I will slice a bitch for it. I will drive nine hours for it. And the secret is the beer in the crust. All right, toodles. The chicken piccane from the Bear's Tooth Grill with the thin, crispy crust. Hey there, this is Nate with some pizza thoughts uh, in Fairbanks. I just want to give a general kudos to Fairbanks pizza people for coming through in a big way in the last five years. Uh, there have been a bunch of new pizza places recently that have opened up in, in recent years. East Ramp Pizza, House of Fire Pizza, Hungry Robot Pizza, even College Town Pizza is good again. Um, I'd say it's a pizza renaissance, but that would require there to have been a naissance, which I'm not sure there ever was. So well done to all of you pizza pals and paisans. Madon! <laughs> pizza renaissance at Fairbanks. That's exciting. <laughs> oh, man. I actually got to stop there real quick because Fairbanks, like, that was one of the, my biggest gripes with Fairbanks is that, like, when I was living there, it didn't have, like, a great pizza place. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, the the ones that he mentioned, Bad Robot, East Ramp Pizza, like all open like in the like the about the nine months before I left. Finally, and Matt is so, gone. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really good. I love East Ramp Pizza is great. It's like this. Um, it's right by the East Ramp of the airport, so mm-hmm. it's like the little planes are taking off. And you can see them. They have little binoculars by each of each table. Uh, and it's just sort of this great sort of. I don't know. The very Fairbanks summery sort of thing. That kind of nice sort of light with the trees and everything. Yeah. And the pizza's great, too. Hello, this is Lee Post, and I'm calling in from Anchorage, Alaska. And I am a connoisseur pizza. And I was just calling about two amazing pizzas here in the heart of Spinard. Um, both of them are like not the highlight on the menu, but are like super hidden treasures. Um, 
So I think the uh, one of my favorites that I'm hoping to get back to when I get back to restaurants is the cacao e pepe at um, Fiore or at uh, Rustic Coat. And it is this amazing blend of like three cheeses and cracked peppers just on um, uh, crust baked in their oven. And it comes out with little bits of ice and the ice melts and it creates all these divots in the cheese. And it is just a bunch of simple ingredients and just amazing. And the other one is in a hidden restaurant back in the middle of um, – Bernard, you can only find it if you know where it is, but Fiore d'Italia has a prosciutto mushroom pizza that is on a special part of their menu. Again, it's like really hard to find on the menu, and the restaurant is hard to find. The drinks are amazing, and this is just mushrooms and a little bit of prosciutto on a small pizza, and it is just incredible. And every time for both of them, I say I'm not going to finish each either of them, and they are gone. And one time a friend and I ordered an extra large of the prosciutto and mushroom, saying we'll have enough for lunch, and we just sat there and had beers and an amazing chat, and it was gone. And we're both amazed, and it is a lovely memory, and that makes the best kind of pizza. All right, take care. That was Lee Post. I love Lee Post. He did a long-running comic strip in the uh, Anchorage Press called Your Square Life. So if uh, folks remember that, that's who Lee is. He's recently retired from the state, and he's going to probably be drawing a lot more, so I'm excited about that. So that was our our test run with the the pizza question. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, If if you have pizza comments, always feel free to to call in with those. Um, uh, Now we're going to move on to a little bit more forward-looking we just kind of wanted to uh, ask people what their what their hopes are for the state of Alaska. And uh, this first one is kind of a, a test run. I, I uh, called and checked in with uh, Rasha McChesney. This call is now being recorded. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. You're recording me? Weird. Yeah. Is this a Google Voice number? Yeah. Can I record you? May I record your voice? Yeah. Of course. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to test this out. I'm, I want to do... I want to be able to talk to more people for our podcast, and so I'm trying to figure out good ways to do that. Um, oh, yeah. What what are you using? This is Google Voice, yeah. And so I I set up this number. Um, I set up this number so we could do kind of a call-in line, so it's got a message on it if, if people call when I'm not around, but I can also answer it on my computer, and it will record it. Mm. Um, and so I started out as, like, a pizza hotline for people to call in <laughs> and talk about their favorite uh, Alaskan pizzas. Uh huh. So, so maybe in the spirit of that, you could introduce yourself and uh, tell me about your favorite pizza in Alaska. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Rasha McChesney. I am a, um, gosh, I've been in, in this state for a decade. And I've tried a lot of different kinds of pizza because uh, that's my go-to meal. And I have to say that there was one season where um, – the pizza joint on Douglas Island, the Island Pub, was carrying, you know, they do this contest every year where they let people design their new pizzas. Um, and some wackadoo made a pizza that was just like, it was like raw garlic and blue cheese and like white cream sauce. It was like all of the things that you could put on a pizza that you would just definitely not want to kiss someone afterwards. <laughs> 
and I could not get enough of that pizza. I would order it, like, eat off of it all week. It's like, garlic and blue cheese tank. Oh, so good. Wait, is and that I the blue it. boar? Huh? Is that the blue, the boar? blue boar? It might be the blue boar. Oh, my God, the blue, the blue boar. boar. So good. <laughs> so good. I mean, like, the, it, it, a lot of people have to believe that because it won that contest. <laughs> Yeah. To be on their menu, but also it's so stinky. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little heavy. I mean it's like a thin pizza, but it's like a lot of like rich toppings and so it's a lot of ingredients, a lot of man, rich toppings. Man, it goes down easy. That's a good pizza. Oh, so good. I would I would literally order it and then eat on it for three or four days and be like, Raja, there is to be something like more in your diet <laughs> than this pizza. Thank you but for yeah, sharing. Thank you You're for welcome. sharing your your pizza stories. Um, <laughs> do you have any um, great visions for the state? Like, what do you hope to see in the next five, ten years? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> do you like my transition? Pretty smooth. Huh? Uh, yeah, I like that. It's very pat. Well, one thing that I I think I have a sort of different perspective because I'm sort of down in the news so often of how things are working or not working. But one thing that uh, drives me really crazy that I wish that the state would sort of move away from is making policy decisions without having any kind of data to back them up. And it's something that like governor's administrations and legislators have said over and over again, just sort of like with impunity, they'll just make these decisions <laughs> and then they'll when you press them on them and say, well, there's actually this data that shows that that's actually not going to work that way. Or did you look at any data before you made this decision? And people are just like, well, no, I really hope for this state that we get to a point where we're making decisions based on the best available data. And I, I know that policy sometimes ends up being really political. <laughs> like you, you can, you, you think that policy is political, but if we already have evidence that says, a thing is going to work in this specific way. We, I just think our our policy would be better. <laughs> I just think our, our our whole entire state would be better if we were using the best available science to make decisions about how the state should work. Um, and that applies to all levels. That's you know the board of fish, all the way to the legislature, all the way to you know which parts of the state should have LAOs and internet service and how much federal funding we're going to match to get, you know, it's just, it just permeates every part of the sort of public policy sphere. And I just, I hope for us that we collectively decide together that maybe if someone spent the time to study something, we could take that under advisement rather than making a decision based on our gut feeling <laughs> that something's going to work or not work. What are your favorite little data troves? Do you have some secret spots that you really like that you that you think we could learn more from? Um well, you know, one thing, uh do you remember do you remember from so long ago the economist uh who just left the state, um Musin Gutabi? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Musin um was constantly looking at data about how the the PFD worked and comparing it to like universal basic income and I have this like I don't know I think I just tend to like do keyword searches I don't it's my no my data source is Google I know that's not like a very helpful thing but I I, I think that 
master's degree and PhD students all over the world are really interested in things that, that Alaska is grappling with, like how much should oil cost and what is the point of a carbon sink and how – I mean, these are things that are happening at UAS. These are things that students are studying. I mean, there's some woman in New York that's doing a big PFD study now. They got a bunch of money from the guy who um, – founded Twitter, I guess, gave her millions of dollars to study the, the PFD to yeah. see if it would work as a model for universal basic income. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm constantly looking for, I have like Google alerts set up for these issues that we're um, tackling in the state. And I'm just sort of looking at how, what other people who are studying them are saying. Um, I read a lot of thesis things. Cool. Well, thanks, Rasha. I, I'll see if this recorded or not. I hope it worked. I appreciate you being my guinea pig for this. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. All right. Nice to talk to you later. Yeah. You too. Bye. Yeah. So that was a, that was Rasha. I like Rasha. Yeah. Everyone likes Rasha. (laughs) I, I, I particularly like Rasha when she, you know, she's usually when you hear Rasha talk, she's doing kind of a button down journalist, uh, on the radio kind of thing. And I love just hearing her, uh, freestyle off the top of her head because it's, she's got some great, great thoughts and great opinions and great ways of articulating them. I mean, yeah, she's, she's, she's smarter than most of us and also more insightful too. So yeah. And fun to listen to. She's hilarious. Yeah. It's like fun to, it's fun to meet somebody who like immediately sees right through you, like right through whatever sort of like facade and, and sort of story that you are telling yourself. And she's just like. (laughs) you're not doing as well as you think you are and like thank you like i appreciate someone just recognizing that it's been tough for everyone yeah Uh, okay all right next one hi i'm cliff grow and uh, i live in alaska all my life um i hope that our state continues to prosper um uh both economically and fiscally and as a place that people want to live I hope that the state of Alaska can um, successfully address its deep structural deficit and come up with a solution to that deficit, a resolution of that deficit that um, is both fair and sustainable. Uh, and is fair um, both uh, among economic classes in Alaska, among regions in Alaska, and among and balances the interests of the people here here now versus the Alaskans who live here in the future. Um, in addition, I'm looking for a sustainable um, solution and one that does not um, make Alaska uh, go go broke um, either in terms of the the, the um, cash the state has, but also um, broken in terms of uh, inability to um, meet the needs. Um, of our state for um, education, um, health care, public safety, and other important um, things the state of Alaska delivers uh, to Alaskans. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. I like Cliff. Cliff's, Cliff is uh, one of those like perpetual do-gooders who's always got kind of got an eye on government and is really like trying to do the connective tissue thing of bringing a lot of disparate viewpoints together to like find a solution that everyone can kind of like agree on um like he's been covering the uh he covered the last special session that we just had uh, came down to juno and 
and uh, you know started out very optimistic about what might happen, and then his newsletters got a little grimmer as they went on. But it was really fun to like um, you know he's a deep connection to all this because he was one of the people that that helped put the Alaska Permanent Fund in place. He he worked on that as a um, back in his time when he was working with the legislature and. Uh, so I think it means a lot to him and it's nice to know that there are, uh, it's nice to know there's like this older generation of Alaskans that are out there that really care about the work they did and making sure that it continues to, to, to matter. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing I really like about, um, Cliff is that there's very little ego wrapped up in much of it where, you know, he's one of those people kind of like you, Pat, where I don't really hear, hear him say like bad things about other people very often doesn't really cast aspersions on other people's efforts i think it he's sort of seems to approach the world in a you know giving everybody kind of the benefit of the doubt that they are working in good um good faith and i think that's like a great place to be in (laughs) i wish i could be that way a little more often but uh i think um you know it's sort of a respectful sort of honest straight dealing sort of way and i think it's you know, it's needed. And I think, you know, I always appreciate when you see older Alaskans who've been sort of through it, you know, yeah, like you said, continuing to be invested in sort of helping continue the discussion, helping elevate other voices and helping kind of, you know, inform the inform people too. And so, you know, that's the thing. That's the thing is that we've, you know, all the mistakes and all the sort of fights that we're having in Alaska are sort of things that we've kind of have every 10 to 20 years really and it's mm-hmm. useful to have some input from the last time around right and we did yeah. figure it out yeah my name is uh mike race um born and raised in alaska born in the territory my hope and dreams for alaska is that we can see our year youth and um, universities and schools uh, benefit from the use of the minerals, the forests, and its bountiful uh, resources, renewable and non-renewable, in a sensible way without uh, um, confusing harvest with plunder, and that uh, sensible development can be successful and um, it can benefit the youth and the uh, future of the state. So that's my hopes, so that we open our eyes to what uh, is available to use and use it. Bye. That was my dad. I like my dad. Oh, dad. Yeah. I, you know, he's, he's comes from, you know, he grew up in mining camps and, uh, uh, you know, he's comes from kind of this development, uh, background of, of Alaska. And I think that it's, uh, to hear that, the purpose there, I think that's something that's missing in a lot of our conversations today is like, you know, the reason we're developing things is so that we can, fund the university so that we can fund schools so that we can build a better future for our kids and i think that that focus has been you know i think that focus has been distorted and lost a little bit when we start talking about like what the roi is on pebble mine and (laughs) things like that 
Hi, I'm Michael Zidlowski. I'm a resident here in Fairbanks, Alaska. Um, enjoy following your stuff and listening in. My hopes, I got two, uh, one's more likely than the other. Uh, my big hope is that with the American Rescue Plan focused on broadband internet, that it revitalizes the uh, looks into a uh, fiber wire line from Japan through the North Pole area, uh, through the North Pole Ocean area across uh, all the way to Europe and England. And with spikes coming in all along Alaska's coast and along Canada's coast, it would provide another connection um, to the Internet so we're not just online. And it would provide more Internet bandwidth uh, and, and connectivity to the rural villages, to the other areas of Alaska that may not have it, create a lot of infrastructure. It has the potential to be really massive for Alaska jobs. And I know the previous administration put the kibosh on it, uh, which sucked in a lot of ways. Um, but it would be interesting to see it come back. My other hope, and this is the far-fetched one, <clears throat> is that the Republican Party finally decides to hold their own accountable because um, I, I call on my legislature all the time a lifelong independent. My family used to be a Republican. They're not anymore. They haven't been for some time now. And we just despise seeing this theatrical reality TV show governance and, and no responsibility held for being absolutely ludicrous and derailing things. And I've let the Interior delegation folks know, look, this may not be your party more anymore. If you don't have control over it, it's not your party. If you can't have this line that people are routinely crossing and nothing happens to them, it's not a line anymore at that point. And the fact that the minority is talking with Kirka and Eastman leading the huddle just makes me realize I need to talk to Thompson and LeBond's office again and remind them, look, you guys are setting yourself up for failure. These people can't be worked with. They can't be you can't compromise with them. You have to hold your own accountable. You have to clean up your own house. You can't expect the independents or the Democrats to do it for you. Um, and I think that's that's what I'm hoping to see is is some adult action, <coughs> adult moves from the Republican Party in cleaning up their own house and making them attempt to at least be viable in the idea of governance anymore. Because right now it's just reality TV show governance when it's not rulership as opposed to stewardship of governance. Um, and I'm really interested to see how, after this election shakes out, the calls, the preemptive calls of voter fraud that we're going to see, because that's all founded noise and fury designed to stoke division. And it's just absolutely ludicrous that that's where we're at. But I'm hoping, I'm really hoping the more adult heads prevail on this, but I, I don't know. That's the less likely one, unfortunately. Anyhow, I really love what you guys are doing. Uh, thanks for taking the hit and listening to the legislature so I don't have to. My liver thanks you as well. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> this is great. I haven't listened to um, most of these, and so it's it's a, it's a like opening a little surprise every time, <laughs> opening a little present. Hi, my name is David Gittachik Nikolai. I was born and raised here in Anchorage, which is Denina land, Denina Flunena, and uh, I uh, went to service high school. Uh, after I was done with high school, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for an adventure, and I went to upstate New York and got an engineering degree, um, did a couple of victory laps there in college, came back to Alaska after college, and I've been working as an engineer ever since. Um most of what I do, I'm a mechanical engineer. I design buildings, so I uh, think about the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and the plumbing a lot. Uh, also, um, I'm Alaska Native. I'm Yupik. Uh, 
I spent a lot of time traveling out in Western Alaska when I was growing up. Um, still got a bunch of family out there in Bethel. Um, yeah, still think about them a lot too. Um, it's definitely has been a good opportunity to do a little bit of work on the new Paul John Jowers Rock Hospital that's being finished out there. Um, yeah. For the future of Alaska, uh, I mean, it's so hard to be positive and hopeful right now. Alaska's in such a tough spot. Um, you know, even if we didn't have, even if we weren't dealing with COVID, Alaska would be in a tough spot. Um, you know, we keep hearing that Alaska is open for business, but it's like, what does that even mean? And what is the state and local governments even doing to, like, support that? Like, there's no cheap electricity. There's no cheap heating. There's no cheap air conditioning. Um, or at least, um, since there isn't cheap electricity, there isn't cheap air conditioning. It's like, how are we actually doing that, that quote-unquote open for business or, or like, business friendly stuff that leaders keep talking about. It's like there's no actual policies or investment in place to make that happen. So it definitely feels mealy mouse whenever we hear leaders say that. Um, one of the things I didn't learn about until after I came back from college and I actually went to, I took UAA classes um, specifically to learn more about it, but was uh, the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act uh, in 1971. That was actually probably like a direct result of some of the oil exploration. Um, Edgar Blashford was a professor at UAA. He offered this course called Alaska Native Policy and Alaska Native History, and uh, he was an incredible teacher. Um, you know, I, I recognize that he was um, in various Alaska leadership positions and has also run for boards, um, for Syria and for Chugach, uh, which that, that, them, that in itself is a story for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, as far as, like, uh, being Alaska native, um, it's definitely something I, I've worked hard to learn about. And oftentimes it ends up being, uh, pretty frustrating, pretty frustrating learning process and pretty frustrating, like frustrating reading about the history because it's like, holy shit, all this happened and, um, it's never really taught in schools or stuff like that. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, what I'd like to see in Alaska is a vibrant economy where we want, we are showing that people should stay here and live here and work here. Uh, and we also respect um, all of those who were here before us, all the all of our indigenous brothers and sisters who were here before us. Uh, it definitely feels like we've made positive moves in that way recently, uh, especially with like uh, the, the Kootenai River reclamation that's going on right now. Um, the current assembly does a lot of land acknowledgements. The current Anchorage school board does a lot of land acknowledgements. That's definitely a helpful step in the right direction, but we still got a long ways to go. Anyways, uh, my name is, my name was Dave and I uh, hope you guys have a good one. So that's our, uh, that's our mailbox. It's good to hear from, uh, Kitak.
Yeah. I, I know some of these people and other ones I don't know. And it's nice. It's a nice mix of voices and it feels a little bit like, uh, um, less angry public testimony, which is what I needed right now. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of nice. I think part of what is sort of getting me through this really, what feels like a really dark, um, moment for Alaska is that there are so many people that I, I didn't know before who are getting engaged, who are, um, you know, engaging, whether it's on Twitter or in person or um, however that works for them. And I think, you know, if if there is to be anything that changes, it, it will come from these people who are, you know, invested in the community and invested in, in making it better and, and changing the course of things. And um, I think that's a great, you know, I think that's a reason to be optimistic about it right about the path forward i think yeah the, the thing that that really almost sort of hurts more than the the testimony that's so troubling is um you know you sort of see this response this knee-jerk response of like well i just want to move away and like i you know where where else should we move to? should we move to canada should we move to wherever and i think it's this really kind of disappointing um, response to it all. And it's also mo- in large part because, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of people in Alaska who can't leave, who don't have the ability and privilege to be able to pick up and move, whether it be through the connections they have to the land or, or the investments they've made in their home or their families, or just the simple fact that like picking up and moving is like an expensive, incredibly expensive thing to do. And so, you know, I think, I see people like that and I go, you know, so long, like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right. Because we don't kind of, we don't, we need <laughs> people to be invested and, and, and sort of, you know, to, to be there to stop on the side of the road to help you out. Right. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, as we move forward, you know, the, this recall is, is one thing, but I think, or the potential recall is one thing, but I think that there's really good opportunities to begin to organize around sort of the change that we want to see, whether it be, you know, um, new, new, new political candidates, whether it be younger people, whether it be um, people of um, minority communities, whether it be more Alaskan natives. But, you know, I think there, there's a lot more room for uh, a broader representation of, on these boards, on in the legislature, in in all these sort of different avenues. I think, you know, you look at the redistricting plan and, you know, I know that there's a lot of heartburn and rightly so over what they're doing with incumbents. But to me, I look at some of these open districts in Anchorage and I say, boy, I wonder who would come out of here. You know, I think that there, it'd be great to see a new face, you know, come into these new opportunities, these empty districts that um, a new opportunity that, that are maybe more representative of the people that live in that district. And I think, um, change like that is, I think, really important because yeah. I think that I think one of the things that people across the board feel is that you know the political system is not representative or reflective of them, and you know some people are using that to you know brandish around threats and and you know yellow stars, but I think you know there's other side of it where you know we where's the representation for minority communities where's the representation for people of low income where's the representation for young people right and i think those sort of things are just as or you know those are very important i think those are issues that we can start to try to address as we move forward you know there's some good questions about a how do we 
you know, how do we, how do we support and, and foster and nurture, you know, a new class of people to be, you know, to fill the benches and to be able to, um, you know, run for these seats to be able to be effective. And, and also, you know, how do we represent, you know, how do we support the people that we, you know, support, right? How do we help them, you know, get through, you know, what has frankly been a really toxic situation. You know, I think, um, rep, you know, uh, Anchorage Assemblywoman Meg Zalatal, she is one of the people who um, is co-sponsoring the ordinance, you know, has been participating by via phone. You know, she's been very clear that, you know, she's very concerned about her safety. She hasn't been able to guarantee her safety during this time. And, you know, like, and, and still, you know, I think it would be easy to look at the situation and say, you know, shoot, I'll just resign, right? I'll just, it's not worth it. It's not worth the the fear. It's not worth the anger. Um, But there are people that are, you know, that are even going through that and saying, you know, no, I'm ready for another round, right? And um, for me, I think that's, that's, you know, what I hope we can translate some of this bad, you know, feels bad man feelings into as we move forward. And I think, there's a lot of great young people who are really looking at how to answer this. And I think the more we kind of find ways to support that and to, you know, find room for that and to, and frankly, to get out of the way in a lot of cases is, is going to be really important and, and how things progress forward. And, you know, look, you know, we were, you know, we started recording this podcast in 2015, right? You know, um, we just, uh, went to uh, Governor Walker's, you know, town hall thing on <laughs> the top of Fairbanks, oh right? And you know, there's a lot of a yeah, lot has happened yeah. since then, and it's I think important to remember, right, that every election is a new opportunity to, uh, you know, sort of steer the wheel in, in whatever direction that you want, and. Um, so, you know, yeah, it might feel bad today and it might feel bad next year, but, um, you know, it's the work that you put in now that will help, uh, you know, change the course of things in the future. And I think, you know, everything is a long, you know, it's a long game that you got to keep on playing because, you know, the other side sure is, you know, the other side is engaged on it. They're thinking about it and it's important to continue to really work at it because, um, you know, there's a side that would like nothing more than to, you know, lock it down and continue to ensure that they hold the reins of power for that much longer. Yeah, it's no, I, I, I yeah, I think that, you know, what you said about people leaving, I think that really kind of like is something I've been struggling with. It's really hard to see good people leave Alaska. And part of that is because it's, you know, our communities are so small and it's, it's you know it's not a death but it's a loss and it i feel like i grieve it in the same way like it you know i have really good friends who have left in the last year several of them and it's really hard to uh it's really hard to lose someone like that because it there is a big difference between living here and not living here and it's uh you know it's hard to keep in touch it's hard to go visit it's um that person's just no longer connected uh it is it does kind of come from a place of kind of immense privilege to be able to say, I'm going to pick up and move because I don't like this, the government right now. Um, and I, you know, I think that that's, that's tough because I, I want to empathize with people who are living in trauma, right? It's like a traumatic experience to, 
have a government that you, you feel so is so divergent from your own views but it also like it hurts everyone else who's stuck here or who um or who chooses to stay here uh, when those people leave because they're part of such a um important network and so it's you know that's just it takes the take really take does it like more than more than these assembly meetings more than more than like a couple people making wacky comments or more than more than david eastman you know the thing that hurts is is this like constant barrage of like all right i'm out of mm-hmm. here see you later <laughs> i'm like and it's like oh man i just wish you'd like stuck around and given it a little more uh a little more effort or a little more time and um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 hard. I think you're right, but um, but also you know you can't ask too much of people, and some people just need to get away from situations that they aren't comfortable in. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough. Uh, it's gonna be a, uh, you got, we've got some tough elections ahead. Um, I'm gonna, I'm excited about ranked choice voting. I went to a. Uh, I went to a fundraiser last night for uh, Bill Walker's campaign and I, you know, I think there's a lot of like mixed feelings about him running again, you know, like he's kind of been in there and he's done his thing and uh, some people were unhappy with it. I know he performed well in Southeast last time around, but we're a bit of a bubble and he didn't do great on the statewide level. Um, But I, you know, he, he's come out of the gate here with, um, a really good running mate and a good team around him. And it was really nice to go to this meeting this little fundraiser zoom thing and like see all these people in the room and be like, Oh yeah, these are, these are the like really smart, great, amazing people that I want running my government. <laughs> like, you know, that it, it was nice to see them all there and know that they're all kind of like working t- towards something as a team. And I think that the thing I said last night is that like, policy making and, and politics is a team sport and it's not like it's not about a, a bill walker or a mike dunleavy and it's a it's really about like mm-hmm. everyone around that person and uh you know i think that there's i think it's i think there are some really great people who are dedicated to the state and, and i really hope that they are able to stay in communication and and like the not not turn our disappointment and our frustrations in on each other and instead use them productive use that frustration i think you know we had an episode years ago with libby bacalar where she talked about productive anger and trying to use your frustration and your anger in productive ways and putting it to you know kind of checking yourself making sure you're not lashing out making sure you're you're using your frustrations productively. And I think that that's the, I think that's kind of the, the thing that I want to focus on right now is like, okay, yes, I have some disappointments, but I, there are a lot of things we can do to make it better. And, uh, I, I like that we've, I like that we've got the potential and the people to make it happen. It's important to remember that you we can step out into Alaska. We can, you know, it's this great state with a lot of opportunities and recreation and, and I think I, I hope that we you know we keep that in mind that Alaska is a lot more than the fighting that happens in the assembly chambers. And I think I think you stare at it too long, and it it really starts to feel very depressing, right? It's it starts to feel, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it sucks to like watch these meetings and start to feel ill will towards these people, towards like other Alaskans, and and to feel. Yeah 
like you end up painting this broad brush about how all these people are idiots and and mean-spirited and and yeah they are you know they are jerks they are mean-spirited <laughs> you know they don't wish you well um but they also you know you also don't have to interact with them all the time right and you know, the, the more that we can sort of show kindness into our own sort of immediate circles, the better it is, right? Because I think kind of living a life where you are constantly stressed out and constantly unhappy about the greater state, state of things, you know, ends up trickling down, right? Like, I, I can't watch these hearings because the dogs get stressed out, right? They get worried about how I'm feeling. And so no. it's like, you know, I think it's just sort of this this sort of level of, you know, just take care of yourself, be kind to yourself, be kind to your friends and family and people around you. I think um, that's, that's, you know, that's all we can ask for right now. I mean, you know, and that's the thing too, is that, you know, we are what 19, 18 months into a pandemic. Um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, just surviving is uh, a feat alone right now. And I think um, just getting by is, you know, that's something to value. And I think with the, areas where you can find a little bit of light, a little bit of levity, a little bit of kindness is that much more important. I think that's a wrap, huh? All right. 50 episodes. Good job, Matt. It's been a pleasure talking with you about uh, Alaska politics for, for, for apparently like six years. I'm looking (laughs) for, we started thinking about what we'll do for our hundredth episode in 2027. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, I wonder, maybe it'll take that long. We'll see. It'll be, we'll be like old men by the time we get to episode seventy-three. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll both be in the pioneer podcast. home by then, and we it'll be a lot easier to connect. Yeah. It'll be yeah. easier if we're in the same yeah. pioneer home. It's I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, it's it's great chatting with you again, and uh, I I appreciate your perspective and and the work that you do, and uh, I really have enjoyed your. Um, your newsletter, um, you know, I, and I strongly recommend that anyone that ha- that isn't subscribed to it go out and uh, find Matt's uh, Substack newsletter. It's um, really good reflections on uh, kind of the politics of the day and and what's going on, particularly in uh, statewide politics. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, that's my right. pitch. I'll catch you later. Catch you later, Alaska. Goodbye, Alaska.